Imagine That Studios, in association with Ace Books, presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 3 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences So, how many crates is that? If I have counted correctly, and I have, we're up to 200 crates so far. Wally, are you certain this is necessary? We've been over this. Dr. Sound is sending us to the Americas for a case. Ooh, an actual case? We're field agents! And I want these archives to be ship-shape in Bristol fashion before catching the last airship. <sighs> Very well, then. We're field agents, Welly! So you reminded me. Ten times over. You, me, against agents of dark and devious intentions, it will be just like... Egypt. Come again, Wellington? Do you not remember the archival audit, just before we became involved with Miss Shepherd and her suffragists? This is entirely different. How? We're heading to America. Fewer camels. Silver Linings by Pip Ballantyne and T. Morris Winter, 1896, Cairo, Egypt Ah, Cairo. Wellington sighed as he stood on the ship's gangway for a moment, taking in the impressive desert vista before him. The cradle of civilization and human innovation. Along with the cradle of oppressive heat, barren wastelands and flies that you could hitch up a hansom to and use as a cheap alternative to camels, grumbled his junior archivist as she disembarked. Wellington Books looked down at the diminutive Eliza D. Braun, arcing an eyebrow at her. Bending her lips into a frown, she quietly twirled her parasol in annoyance. Miss Braun, come along. Are you telling me you do not find Egypt tantalizing in its history, its uncovered mysteries, and how the foundation of modern language and even the sciences began here? She bit back, almost as if she had prepared herself for the query. If I were fond of this kind of heat, I would take holiday in Australia. Oh, my parasol. Eliza unwound the veil from around the top of her pith helmet and then snatched back her modest shade from his hands. And here I thought you were a romantic, he muttered. A romantic? Is that why you insisted on taking an airship to the Sudan, so we could chug up river on this boat? Chug up river? Wellington asked, stunned. It's the Nile! Oh, for God's sake. She seethed, now adding to her arsenal against the desert a horsetail swatter. With a few swings and a somewhat perturbed glare at Wellington, she huffed. Let's get this over with. It was apparent that his partner was immune to what he had heard described as pharaoh fever by travel brokers. Hefting his huge brown case, Wellington lumbered down the gangplank, ignoring Eliza's protestations to leave it for the porters. Perhaps this ministry-endorsed archival audit would be nothing more than a brief stay of only a day or two and then an airship back to London. No need to prolong this little jaunt if he had to share it with one immune to the wonders of Egypt. Mr. Books, Miss Braun, a voice asked. Wellington and Eliza turned around to see a tanned gentleman, but not so tanned that he could pass for a native. He was unmistakably English in his features, particularly in the disdain etched in his face. Whether that expression was for him or his fellow archivist from headquarters remained a mystery. Something I do love about being an archivist for our shadowy ministry. He looked as if he was about to burst out into bitter laughter. We do not stand on ceremony or secrecy. After all, how dangerous is our position, really? Eliza snorted. You'd be surprised, mate. Wellington did not care one jot for the way this man was sizing up both him and his partner. The man removed his pith helmet and casually fanned himself as he approached. 
Marcus Donahue, Ministry Field Director and Chief Archivist, Egypt Branch. He motioned around him. Welcome to hell. Don't know about that, Eliza replied. Australia's outback in the summer makes this place look positively welcoming. And Cairo is a pleasant change, as January in London is rather biting at present. Dead of winter and all. Wellington added, This heat is quite nice. Perhaps, he said, looking around him as if incredibly inconvenienced. Shall we proceed then? Wellington nodded and motioned to Eliza in an after-you manner, but her scowl assured him that her mind had been made up about their official visit to Cairo. Perhaps he would save the lure of Egypt for another trip. Between Eliza's demeanor and the local office's reception, brevity was most certainly in order. Egypt had never disappointed Eliza. She still remembered her first case here alongside Harry Thorne, a man wise enough to be a mentor, but most certainly too familiar for her to ignore his charms. While Paris remained a special jewel in previous assignments, and the countryside of Beijing offered ancient mysteries that opened her eyes to amazing possibilities, there was something alluring about Egypt. On one assignment, Harry had taken her to the Giza pyramids shortly after their arrival, a stop that had absolutely nothing to do with the case they were assigned, but her partner had insisted. They had watched the sun set behind the ancient monuments, and that was when he imparted the importance of this diversion. To solve a case? To unlock the mysteries of what we deal with, he began, still looking in the direction of where the sun had disappeared. You need to understand the world around you. Not the world on a whole, but the culture, the people, and the history you are in now. That is your first step in closing a case. Eliza still remembered her response. True, but a fistful of dynamite is also quite handy in unlocking mysteries. Stone pyramids, too. He was right, of course, damn him. Her time along the banks of the Nile had been far too brief. It was quite kind of Wellington to try and broaden her view of their assignment to Egypt, but she could not voice to her present mentor how disappointed she deeply felt. The truth of it was that Eliza would have loved Cairo if she'd been a proper field agent, a goal appearing further and further away from reach. Having thwarted the Phoenix Society only just that summer, it was a taste of what she'd been missing, especially now, returning to the outside world, only to collect the records of previous cases. How thrilling. The ministry outpost in Egypt was nuzzled in one of the many tight alleyways of Cairo and blended in easily with the surroundings. Their storefront offered a modest sampling of Miggins Antiquities' latest acquisitions before shipping to their London showroom. A few diplomats stopped to browse, paying no mind to the three of them. As was in their London office, the main foyer and open room were dedicated to cataloguing and inspection of various finds and acquisitions. All of them were old, as in... Ancient Egyptian artefact, better suited for a museum, not a private collection, old. It seemed as if everything was rubbing her the wrong way today, and seeing the common looting of tombs encouraged by the ministry's front office did not improve her mood. At the back of the receiving room, a single staircase led up to a modest office space of four desks. Two of these desks, Eliza knew from previous stations in the Empire, were reserved for visiting agents. The other two were occupied with those agents local to the area. The gentlemen planted there, finely dressed Egyptians, looked her over and then disappeared back behind their respective newspapers. Donahue gave a dry laugh as he continued to another stairwell. <laughs> now, now, gents, do extend a courtesy to our comrades from old Blighty. I'm sure they will let us on to all that we are failing to notice in our sunny part of the world, yes? Another flight opened to an office decorated with fine antiquities, Egyptian rugs, and against the far wall a pneumatic messaging system that was ministry-issue equipment. Her eyes returned to the desk, modest in size and construction. In fact, it could have passed for the desk downstairs had it not been for the valuables on it. Please, he said, motioning to a pair of simple chairs in front of the desk. With a quick look to Wellington, Eliza took a seat. There was a tiny creak from behind her, so she eased up from the back of the chair so not as to threaten it collapsing from underneath her. Is this your first time in Cairo? No. no, they both said together. 
Eliza could see in the corner of her eye Wellington staring at her. She kept her eyes on Donahue. Well, thankfully, it will be brief. A shame, really, he added, giving Wellington a rakish wink. Missing out on what Cairo has to offer. You seem to be doing quite well, Wellington said, brushing a small film of sand and dust free of a Bastet statue. Egyptian alabaster. Very nice. Privileges are being posted here, he replied dismissively. And wearing many hats when working overseas with the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences. Eliza nodded. Archivist and field director? But that does not mean I fail to heed the call of our magnanimous leader, Donahue said, sliding a paper bearing the ministry seal across the desk. A transfer of archive material for cataloguing back in London, he chuckled, sliding the order to one side. <laughs> How long do you want this process to take? Wellington glanced at Marcus askew. I beg your pardon? Are we making this an official trip? Or will you be reporting this as a CF, as our predecessors have reported? He straightened at that. Whatever do you mean by that? You know, a CF, a collating fiasco. That chap who was here last, Whitby, I believe his name was. He knew the game. Reported back to sound that things were dreadfully in disrepair and insisted on extending his stay here. He shrugged, shaking his head. My predecessors assured me this was the way of things. One quick message via ethermail, and you buy more time to enjoy a bit of the local culture and cuisine. Well, Whitby was a bit of a git now, wasn't he? Eliza sniped. Buggered off without a word to anyone one day, left the archives to seed. You're not going to find we're cut of the same cloth. She caught some more movement in her peripheral vision. Hopefully it was Wellington beaming with pride. Eliza allowed herself a slight grin. The proclamation of their ethics seemed to roll off Donahue like water off a duck's back. An official trip it is, then. Very well. While you load up a hired cart, I'll look into bookings for airships. He jotted down a few notes on the Ministry communique, paused, and looked them over as he did on meeting them. As you are all Ministry stalwarts, I will assume third-class seating should suffice, yes? Wellington leaned forward. If this will help your office, Mr. Donahue, why don't you just direct us to your archives? We will not trouble you any longer than we need- Behind you, he interjected. He was looking at flight schedules now. They both turned in their seats to find six crates behind them. Eliza thought she and Wellington brought more luggage than this. That, she began turning to Donahue, is ten years of cases from Cairo? Yes, he replied, still reviewing travel options for the two of them. I know this may come as a shock to you, Agent Braun, but as the Home Office tends to stick their fat noses into our business, we remain ever vigilant from our post. Or, he said, suddenly looking up at her with a rather chilly gaze, we carry out the preliminary work while other agents step in and take the credit. That was when Eliza suddenly remembered Marcus Donahue. The face and the attitude clicked into place. Now, just a minute, mate. Harry and I stepped in only because you lot were dragging your feet. Donahue sat up, his grin hardly pleasant or jovial. Expected, coming from the ministry elite. But now, look at us. He gave a snort. Two peas, aren't we? Well then... Wellington piped up, shattering the palpable tension. Perhaps we should just collect these cases and head back to London as quickly as possible, yes? A sudden metallic crack <coughs> made all three of them jump. From the pneumatic messaging system, wisps of steam were seeping from one of the incoming tubes. Donahue crossed the room and opened the cylinder. He then let both the cylinder and message fall at either side of him, his eyes cast up to the ceiling. Eliza recognised his expression. It was imploring to God and heaven a simple question. <sighs> Why me? Donahue returned his eyes to the message, then looked over to her in Wellington. Well, it would appear that my day with you, Agent Braun has been cut short. Do restrain your inevitable disappointment. The Ministry's presence is needed at police headquarters. He waved the paper in his hand. Marked urgent, so it must be serious. Donahue grabbed his pith helmet and motioned to the stack of boxes. If you are the last ones out, please lock up behind you. Wellington and Eliza both looked at each other, quite stunned at how this branch could still be in operation in light of Donahue's leadership. From the bottom of the stairwell, they heard Donahue call out, Agent Larteb, grab a memo pad. You're with me. Enchanting fellow, Wellington quipped. 
Was he this charming when you first met him? Considering how long it took me to remember him, she huffed. Yes. Her partner removed his coat and unbuttoned his vest. Let's get cracking, then. We should try and at least get an idea of how well-maintained these collection of cases are. Working with Miss Eliza D. Braun when she wanted to be anywhere else was an undertaking not for the faint of heart. She had quite the grasp on chilly silences marked with exasperated sighs. Rather than respond, Wellington removed his glasses and pressed two fingers on either side of his nose. Outside, the call to prayer was ringing out, and as if on cue, his stomach began to rumble. As he glanced across the top of boxes, he wondered if now was the best time to suggest a break for a meal. They had been at this for a good portion of the day, so much that it was now the evening and they were the only two souls in the office. However, the expression on Eliza's face as she rummaged through the box he'd assigned her suggested it was not a good time to suggest anything unless he wanted to feel the full wrath of New Zealand and awaken the formidable sea dragons that were legend to slumber there. She muttered to herself under her breath, another bad sign. He could just make out a few random words like Donahue, self-important moron, and other colorful colloquialisms that would not have been out of place in the mouth of a sailor. He was just about to take his chances and dare suggest dinner when steps thundered up the stairwell. An Egyptian, possessing a finely styled beard, sharply cut cream suit, and a smart boater-style hat common for the region, burst into the office, panting wildly. Wellington observed Eliza's eyes widen and the hint of a dangerous smile pull at her lips. She was quite ready to escape the mundane, and it was this readiness of hers that often led him directly into the mouth of madness. Where is Director Donahue? The agent blurted out. He is still out, answering an emergency call, Eliza said before Wellington could get a word in. He looked at them both, then to the desk, and then tossed the legal pad across the office. Wellington's grasp of the man's dialect was a bit rusty, but he knew it well enough to recognize similar words to what Eliza had used earlier concerning Director Donahue. The agent took a breath, turning his dark gaze to Donahue's desk. Bastard said he was going to meet me here. We saw you earlier. One of our local agents here in Egypt. We're agents Eliza Braun and Wellington Books on assignment from London. Sent to collect your archives for proper cataloging back at Ministry Headquarters. Wellington interjected, hoping to disarm the situation. Well, he thought it was a valiant effort. Perhaps we can help. The man was not totally foolish, because he raised a brow in response to this. The matter is the utmost urgency, and involves one of the Queen's own Camel Brigade and Lord Arlton Rutland himself. The mention of military men and the heir to a duchy caught Wellington's attention. It was suddenly not all about containing Eliza D. Braun's excesses. The archivist snapped to attention, his gaze narrowing. Identify yourself, then, and let's be about it. The man straightened immediately in a similar manner. Agent Khaled Rateb, currently assigned to Lord Alton Rutland's protection. Wellington was reaching for his coat before he even realized it. Explain that while we go. He dimly heard Eliza race up behind them. The Camel Brigade? Agent Rateb shot her a glance. Yes, the Imperial Camel Brigade is a small experimental force designed to move fast and silently in the desert. Part of my assignment is embedding myself with the troops. That's why Donahue called on me. They secured the office, which, apparent by the locks, was not a priority of Donahue's, and began to head into the city itself, the chill of the evening already setting in. Offering his arm to Eliza, the two of them shattered Rateb as he explained his assignment. This experiment is the brainchild of Lord Alton, and he is getting quite excellent results, Rateb said. I was assigned to not only investigate possible incidents originating in and around any archaeological digs, but my orders also include protecting Lord Alton. Lord Alton? Eliza continued to press the man. He's the Duke of Rutland's only heir, right? The very one. Rateb peered around another corner before leading them on towards the far less savory outskirts of Cairo. 
He is a very fine young man, with large responsibilities. This brigade of his is also a testament of his innovation. Camels, though. Eliza shuddered. I would think they'd be dreadful animals if you came under fire. Rateb shared a look with Wellington before replying. Actually, they take it much better, and are less prone to running off. He led them down a series of narrow alleyways, the closeness of the buildings making Wellington tighten his grip on his cane. Donahue and I were called by the Duke himself to keep an eye on his heir. There was some concern that his life was in danger. That would explain Director Donahue's reaction to the pneumatic tube, Wellington said to Eliza. He seemed quite inconvenienced by the message. Rateb shook his head, appearing to bite back an opinion. He paused, then spoke his words, struggling for control. After we had met with the Duke of Rutland... Wait. Eliza interrupted. The Duke was here, in Cairo. Yes, Rateb replied. This was a sincere concern, Wellington added. Exactly. Donahue told me to volunteer for watch tonight with the brigade, even though there were no exercises today or tomorrow. He told me he would be in the office this evening if needed. By dinner, I thought this threat, even though it had demanded the attention of the Duke of Rutland, may have been unwarranted until... when... The agent shook his head slowly. You will have to see it to believe it. They reached the barracks of the Imperial Camel Brigade, located on the edge of Cairo's sprawl. Roteb took them up to the postern gate, removed a lodgings-shaped mechanical device from around his neck, and pressed it into a matching symbol in the wall. The gate clicked open. Wellington was duly impressed. Security has changed dramatically since my days as a soldier. They slipped into the compound, and immediately Wellington grew suspicious, not what he heard, but what was notably absent. It was night, and yet there were no sounds to be heard at all. He caught a low of a pharaoh eagle owl in the distance, but a heavy silence lingered around them. Usually in barracks there would be carousing, music, and laughter. Perhaps security had changed, but soldiers most certainly would have not. Eliza must have felt something off too, for she had her hand inside her jacket, undoubtedly ready to pull out one of her Ponamu pistols. With the skin on his back feeling as though it were trying to crawl off his body, and a tumbling knot in the center of his stomach making him feel rather nauseous, Wellington was for once not going to dissuade her. Working for the ministry usually led to indescribable strangeness, and this foreboding felt decidedly otherworldly. Agent Rateb paused for a moment, as if he too did not want to go any further. He licked his lips. Lord Alton and the men loved to gamble in the evenings, but as always I was excused at sundown and I went to prayers. When I left, the barracks had all been locked up for the night. There was nothing extraordinary. I'd gone every evening in the same way. His voice trailed off as if examining his routine was dreadfully painful. Except tonight. Just before I left, Lord Allerton's cousin, Seth Taylor, had surprised him with a visit. Seth Taylor? Eliza asked. Are you certain it was Seth Taylor? Most certain. He patted down his pockets, then fished out a business card and passed it to Eliza. He was quite affable, especially as he came bearing bottles of wine. When they were at the card table with the rest of the officers, playing, drinking, laughing... Wellington and Eliza shared a glance, and he knew what she was thinking. It had to be a massacre in there. Wrapping his fingers more tightly about his cane, the archivist jerked his head towards the door. Show us. Eliza went in first, but when she came to a sudden stop behind the second door, Wellington almost collided with her, until he saw what had made her halt. The bodies of ten or so men filled the room, spilled at ungangly angles. Already the whole space was buzzing with flies, even though the blood was fresh. A large round card table had obviously been tipped over when a soldier, still in his uniform, had been hung from the rafters. His shiny boots were swinging back and forth to the accompaniment of a creaking rope. Bloody hell, Eliza whispered, stepping over the body of another man who had taken a shot to the head. The three of them circled the room, 
and Wellington was able to make a count. Three hangings, four shootings, one slit throat, and two who were disemboweled. He glanced over at Arteb, and wordlessly the agent pointed out the young man lying under the card table, a sword still protruding out of his belly. Lord Alton had been discovered. Eliza bent and touched the neck of the nearest body. Still warm, so it wasn't long ago. But the angle of the hilt and blade isn't consistent. Agent Braun! Wellington, on bending to examine the bodies a little closer, saw the problem immediately. He eyed the pistol, still in one of the soldier's grips. This man's head wound. They all committed suicide. Eliza came to the same conclusion, only a beat behind him. She was examining a man with a knife still in his hands and a slit throat. This poor lad here did himself in like that? All these wounds fatal, and all of them self-inflicted? Wellington stared around the room, which, up until very recently ago, must have been similar to the barracks he'd been used to when he'd been in the military. I've never seen anything like it. He turned to Rateb, who was standing at the door, his hands tucked behind his back and his face stern. Was Lord Alton in poor spirits? Rateb shook his head slowly. No. Not at all. His cousin, Mr. Taylor, had arrived from his excavation near Akeldama in Palestine. So he told us. When I left, he was laughing and joking along with the rest. Wellington slowly wandered around the carnage, studying the final moments of the officers. There are men who go mad. It could be the sun and heat, it could be isolation, a number of things. But these men were close enough to a city, and for a madness such as this to affect all of them at once... Eliza looked up at the man hanging above the card table. Could it have been some kind of cult of suicide agreement that you weren't aware of? Now Rateb looked more than a little angry. We are not heathens here, Agent Bron. The brigade was in good form. At least it was before this happened to our officers. And this cousin of Lord Alton's? Wellington asked, carefully getting down on his knees to examine the chaos of cards and blood on the floor. Is he among all this? Rateb stepped carefully around the room, checking. No. Wellington cast a glance around the collected dead, and then bowed his head to whisper a brief prayer. His thoughts scattered, though, when something brilliant caught his gaze. He went to reach for it, but thought better of it, and pulled out a pencil from his top pocket. Eliza, he said, pushing the stained cards aside. Look at this. She bent down next to him, inclining her head to one side. It looks like a coin, but what kind of currency is that? When she went to reach for it, he grabbed her arm and gently pushed it aside. Let's err on the side of caution, at least when it comes to handling mysterious objects. Eliza's brow furrowed. Do I need to remind you of your last assignment in Paris with Agent Thorne? But in that situation, Wellie, we knew what the artifact was. Yes, but did you ever wonder about my predecessor? I've always nursed a lingering suspicion that he had not been so... diligent. Look more closely, but don't touch it. Wellington could feel the thrill of discovery course through his veins. This currency is neither British nor Egyptian, I, I believe. He nudged the coin with his pencil into the handkerchief and held it up closer to her. Yes, an Antiochian stator. See there, it, it, it has the head of the Emperor Augustus on it. It dates back to the Roman occupation of Palestine. Very odd thing for a bunch of officers to be wagering with, Eliza commented. Yes, indeed. He turned to Rateb. Did you say Lord Allerton's cousin had been at a dig in Akeldama? The Egyptian agent nodded, his eyes remaining fixed on the gleaming coin. Wellington couldn't help smiling just a fraction. Could it be that he was actually holding a piece of ancient history in his hand that his friends at the British Museum would turn green with envy over? Welly! Eliza snapped. Stop smiling like an idiot and tell me what you know. As he poked around the currency, he reminded himself that, as amazing as this find could possibly be, this was still the site of an atrocity. Silver coins, Miss Braun, from an ancient site very near Jerusalem. He gave a soft, ah, as he spied three more coins just like the one in his kerchief. What, has time in the field erased your memories of Sunday morning church? 
She gave a dry laugh. <laughs> My father was a publican. We would be getting the pub ready for the congregation's after-church fellowship. Our place would be where the vicar held court. Akladama, the field of blood. It was Agent Rateb. His voice sounded hollow, haunted. This is where Judas Iscariot met his fate in betraying the prophet. Wait, hold on, mate. You're talking about the Judas Iscariot, as in he who betrayed Jesus Christ? Indeed. And he was paid with 30 pieces of silver. Rateb pointed just in front of him. There is another coin here. Wellington pushed the coin into the kerchief. For currency thousands of years old, these ancient coins gleamed as if minted yesterday. According to Matthew 27, Judas hanged himself out of guilt. Since those 30 pieces of silver was considered blood money, it was refused return to the temple's treasury. The coins were instead used to purchase a patch of land commonly known as the potter's field. That's according to Matthew, Welly. Eliza offered. Acts says that Judas himself used the silver to buy potter's field. The very place where he committed suicide. She looked at both men and shrugged. I said we prepared the pub on Sunday morning. Didn't mean we missed church altogether. Scriptures tend to differ on what happened to the thirty pieces following the traitor's death. Rateb said, staring at the silver. Other accounts claimed it was melted down. Still more claimed the silver was buried with Judas. And you're saying... Eliza asked as Wellington bunched up the ends of the kerchief and tied them securely. These five coins are from the thirty Judas Iscariot was paid with for betraying Jesus? That's... He raised one finger. Before you say that's impossible, think of the other objects the ministry has collected over the years. But these are only five pieces, Rateb interrupted. Where is the rest? Eliza glanced over the dead soldiers once, then twice. The one survivor of tonight's card game, Seth Taylor. I didn't realize he was related to the Alton bloodline. She shook her head, looking at the business card in her hand. I've dealt with him before. Once in Barcelona, another time in Lisbon. Both times confrontations involving the House of Usher. We had nothing on him in Spain, but he left quite a trail of evidence in Portugal. Whispers from the House of Lords were hinting that Taylor's uncle was less than happy about his nephew's shenanigans. And with Lord Alton here dead at his own hand, nothing stands between him and the title. Complete immunity. Wellington said, his eyes falling on the gutted aristocrat on the floor. It's obviously suicide, so there's no blood on his hands. But there is, Rateb said, his hands clenching into fists. Lord Alton was a fine young man. He cared about the people of Egypt. He really did. And now... The agent gestured to the bedlam around them. He should pay, Eliza agreed. And he will. No sooner were the words out of her mouth when a hideous commotion broke out in the compound. The voluminous wet roars of camels filled the air, and Wellington knew that something had to be terrifying the beasts. Eliza must have come to the same conclusion only seconds later. She darted out of the room ahead of him. Wellington managed to grab Eliza just before running in front of a camel bolting for the main gate. Astride it was a lean young man, working the skirmish saddlebags with both hands. Gatling guns on each side of the camel twirled and snarled at the gate. The wood surrendered to the assault, and when the doors collapsed to the sand with a groan, the camel and its rider galloped out into the night. Without so much as a thank you to Wellington, Eliza dashed for the camel enclosure, swearing loudly. Apparently her disdain for the ships of the desert was not feigned. Wellington and Rateb ran after her. Those coins are deadly, Eliza said, grabbing hold of the bridle of the nearest outraged camel. Imagine what the House of Usher could do with them. Rateb tapped Wellington on the shoulder. Give me the coins you found. Showing them to Donahue might inspire him to rouse Agent Nurgiam and the local authorities. Donahue can find us using our ETS rings, he said, handing the cinched kerchief to Rateb. It took Wellington a moment to remember how, but with the right manipulation of the bridle, he managed to get his chosen mount to flop down on its knees. The skirmish harness each of the brigade camels wore was kept fastened on five camels, just in case of raids from the desert tribes. It made the camels harder to handle than usual, though. Eliza let out a little yell as the camel lurched up. Finishing school never really prepared me for this sort of sport, she said, running her hands over the controls of the saddle's guns. 
It was a poor joke since he had studied her record on being informed of her assignment to the archives. Finishing schools had been spared the delight of educating Agent Eliza Braun. You're never too old for new experiences, Wellington quipped as he mounted the camel and ascended upward. I'm liking this side of books, you know that? Yes, and that scares me a bit. And with a cry, yeah! Wellington drove his camel into the night with Eliza right behind him. It was the stride of the camel that Eliza was not prepared for, nor did she think she would enjoy the exhilaration as much. In the earlier visit to Egypt, she had reflected upon she and Harry had taken camels across the desert, but then it had been strictly a leisurely ride, not this high-speed pursuit she was engaged in presently. In that ride with Harry, she was less than impressed with the demeanour or smell from the beasts. Tonight, however, under the full moon's glow, she took everything back she had ever considered derogatory about camels. She felt as if she were bounding across the desert, the warm Egyptian wind caressing her face as she and Wellington closed in on Taylor. He still had a considerable lead, but at their pace the distance would not remain for long. Cutting through the darkness ahead were an array of torches surrounding the ancient pyramids. It was a safe assumption, based on Taylor's urging of his mount forward. It was not because he wanted to clock in some very late sightseeing. Look! There! Wellington shouted above the howls of the camels, pointing just to the right of the pyramid. Eliza squinted, and she could just make out running lights of an airship emerging from the star-filled sky. The House of Usher! It has to be! We can't allow him to reach them! Wellington shouted. Right then, Eliza said, shoving her hands inside the levers of the skirmish saddlebags. Let's see what we have here. Wellington's warning was lost in a quick pop from the right saddle compartment, and ending with a powerful, concussive explosion that earned a loud groan of protest from Taylor's mount. rocket launcher. Two more explosions briefly overpowered the moon's grey-white luminance. Neither Eliza nor Taylor's camel seemed bothered by the ordnance. Eliza! Change of strategy, she shouted, just before firing her last projectile. The explosion, this time, landed right in front of Taylor. Much like a horse, the camel concluded that forward was not a wise direction to continue, so it stopped abruptly, dropping to its knees in the sand. Taylor, from the way his arms and legs flailed as he soared into the darkness, was not prepared for that. Wellington and Eliza had brought their own camels to a halt and returned to the ground just as Seth Taylor found his footing again. He was now at a dead run, making his way towards the nearest pyramid. Eliza drew her Panamu pistols and made chase. She had lost him in Portugal. He had also given her the slip in Italy. Not here, she thought. Not tonight. Above her, the drone of the Usher airship grew louder. Eliza could still make out Taylor in front of her, climbing higher and higher up along the face of the pyramid. She replaced one of her pistols and started her own ascent, but paused on hearing a clickety-click-clickety-clack higher up. The airship was running out a rope ladder and dragging it along the pyramid. She would have to take her stand now. Eliza stopped, pulled the hammer back on her pistol and watched the man scrambling just above her. The shot hit something because she heard Taylor scream out, along with some loose rock rolling down the pyramid face. She climbed up another pair of stones, but stopped when a grunt came from Taylor's position. Eliza could just make out the rope ladder in the moonlight, swinging back and forth, but on its third pass, it caught. Taylor gave a sharp cry, and the slack ladder went taut. Go on, she whispered as the airship's engines revved. More loose rock tumbled down as the Asher airship lifted Taylor free of the pyramid. He swung wide, struggling to hold onto the rung above his head, one leg dangling useless underneath him. Eliza waited for Taylor to swing back before she fired. He lurched, slipped free of the rope ladder and slammed into the jagged pyramid face. He rolled down several shells before coming to a stop, one arm dangling underneath him. Bloody good shot, Eliza! Wellington called from below her. Eliza holstered the pistol then looked over her shoulder. Not really, just lucky. A lucky shot in the dark? No, she said. Lucky that white is a fashionable colour here in Egypt. Eliza adjusted her sun spectacles, 
as she watched the gangplank of the Ra reach out to the runway. While her features had been less than affable on their arrival, she seemed a bit regretful to be leaving Cairo. She picked up her cup and saucer and took a contemplative sip of tea. There's still so much we could do, Wellington, she said suddenly. <sighs> Miss Braun, Wellington said, setting down his own cup. Are we going to have this conversation again? Maybe, she said, grinning wryly. Eliza, you know this sneaking in field assignments and dead cases is a dangerous game you're playing when you are suspended from active investigations and we're supposed to be fulfilling archival duties. Oh, come on, Welly. You are starting to enjoy yourself when we break the rules. Wellington gasped. I am not! Eliza leaned in, pointing an accusatory finger. Are you going to tell me you did not feel a thrill when you held in your hand the very silver paid to Judas Iscariot? He opened his mouth to protest, but his throat ceased up. Damnable woman, it was just terrible when she was right. Perhaps, he admitted begrudgingly, a bit. Ha! I knew it! She proclaimed, taking a sip of her own tea. However, there is something perplexing me about those silver coins. If handling them meant certain death, how could Seth Taylor carry them about without killing himself? I received an ether missive from the Jerusalem authorities about Taylor's stay there. Seems that before he came to Cairo, there were several unexpected suicides. One of them was a common offender, but the authorities said he seemed genuinely repentant when caught. The other two? Pillars of the community. Wellington offered, I would posit that the shame of Judas is only felt by those who have morals, even self-centered ones, to begin with. Eliza grinned. Damn. I knew being a proper lady was going to get me in trouble one of these days. And this is why I insisted you not touch the coins without some sort of barrier, he said. I still have hope for you. The waiter placed a third setting at their table, and Agent Khaled Rateb joined them, his smile mirroring that of the Egyptian sunshine. Wellington almost failed to recognize him wearing such a cheerful disposition. Mr. Rateb, Eliza said, smiling wide. You're looking considerably happier. This is my normal state of affairs. He responded, kissing her offered hand. I'm afraid you caught me at an inopportune moment. He cleared his throat and shrugged. <clears throat> Twice. No matter, Wellington responded, toasting him with his teacup. I'm pleased we happen to be present. And he stopped to return a stare Eliza was giving him, her accompanying smile far too wicked. To assist you. As am I. Khaled handed Wellington a polished wooden box that fit neatly in his hand. Carved in it was the Ministry coat of arms. Here you are, the cursed silver of Judas Iscariot. Excellent, Wellington said, looking the box over. It will find a safe and secure home in the archives. I have no doubt. You will make sure to keep our involvement to a minimum in your official report? Wellington asked. He ignored the soft groan from Eliza. I have a few more details to add, but in my preliminary report I made certain that your names appear only as logistical support for the Egyptian office. Have no fear. Excellent. A horn blared from the Ra, making their heads turn in that direction. There you are, your voyage home. Khaled pulled out Eliza's chair, then motioned to the airship. As a token of appreciation, you will be flying first class. Oh, that was not necessary. But we will accept it graciously, Eliza blurted. And eagerly, it would seem, Wellington said with his eyebrow quirking. Mr. Books, Miss Blown. And with the tip of his hat, Khaled took up his tea and departed. So where to next? Eliza asked. Please say the Bahamas. I can honestly say I have not investigated any cases, peculiar or otherwise there, so truly it would be a warm getaway. She held up a hand. But with serious ministry responsibilities, our priority, of course. Sadly, no. Wellington pulled out the schedule he and Eliza had left England with. Several offices had been already checked off, and now they were due to head to... Scotland. Edinburgh offices. He gave a smile and whispered, Yes, the Edinburgh Express. Eliza raised a single eyebrow. Wellie? What? You have a look in your eye. Oh, no! He replied quickly. No, 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 no. Not at all. It's just... 
Hmm. He looked at the schedule again and nodded. Eliza, have you ever traveled by hypersteam? Khaled Ratep stopped in the street to look up. Through the opening between the row housing of Cairo, against a cerulean blue expanse, the Ra climbed to its cruising altitude. He was duly impressed with the two archivists, certainly not the idiots that Donahue had initially described Nuhyam and himself. Then again, this was Donahue, hardly a man of honesty or ethics. He continued his way through the streets to Miggins Antiquities, up the first staircase to the four desks of the agent's receiving area, as it was yesterday before Donahue arrived with the archivist, Zayad Nuyim was at his desk, hiding behind the paper. Khaled felt a tightness well in his throat on reading the headline concerning Lord Alton's death, a tragic suicide and a blow to the spirits of both Egypt and England. Khaled took in a deep breath and asked in his mother tongue, Is he here? His fellow agent glanced over the top of his paper. Upstairs, he replied before stamping it back up. Khaled climbed the staircase to enter the proverbial lion's den that was the director's office. The six crates that had held the past decades of cases, more precisely the ones that had captured the interest of Donahue and his predecessor, were now en route to London with agents' books and brawn. He looked over to the pneumatic system. It was quiet. For the moment. I assume you have a reason to be up here, Rateb? Marcus Donahue was looking at what appeared to be a gold statue of an Egyptian queen, his latest acquisition, it would seem, from one of the many excavations happening outside of city limits. Fascinating how the British called what they do archaeology. In civilized culture, a civilized culture such as Khaled's was, it was called grave robbing. Agents Books and Bron are en route to London, director. I deduced as much on account of the absence of archives. He narrowed his eyes on the inscription etched in the base of the statuette, the magnifying glass seemingly revealing the secrets of its glyphs. Seconds ticked by. Khaled remained where he was. I take it? There is something else? He asked. Khaled noticed the always present annoyance in Donahue's voice sounded more pronounced now. Where were you last night? That grabbed his attention. I'm sorry, Agent Rateb, but did you just ask of my whereabouts? Yes, sir, I did. And you are asking this because... Yesterday we were on assignment. You assured me last night that you would remain on watch at least until tonight in order to keep watch over Lord Alton. Yes, I know, he said, his eyes still on the statuette, not Khaled. And that didn't work out so well for Alton, now did it? Sir, when you were needed to no, protect... Rateb. No, when you were needed, he said matter-of-factly, you buggered off to pray. Director Donahue, Khaled snapped, struggling to keep his composure. I was given your word that you would be on call. Had it not been for the archivists, I would have been working alone in keeping a dangerous talisman falling in the hands of the House of Usher. Yes, I read your report. Had it not been for the archivist, it would have been you facing... Now, let me see. What was it? Ah, yes. A lone agent from the House of Usher. He sat back in his desk, interlocking his fingers together as he considered Khaled. So does this mean I'm correct, that if I throw a monkey in a suit, it's still a monkey in a suit now, is it? He stood crossed around his desk, and stood toe-to-toe with his Egyptian subordinate. Allow me to remind you, Rateb, that if it weren't for the British Empire and our technology, you would not be wearing these fine clothes while working for the betterment of Her Majesty, but rather begging for scraps covered in your own shit. Khaled continued to stare forward into space. He did not expect Donahue to raise his voice in such a fashion. Most uncharacteristic of him. Hopefully, 
Zayad heard that. Never question my intent or actions. Ever. Yes, sir, Khaled muttered. Donahue stepped back. I believe you're done here. Actually, sir, before they left, the archivist did inform me that Ministry Headquarters are expecting increased occurrences on account of recent archaeological digs. The director laughed bitterly. <laughs> Is that so? Ah, oh, how melodramatic. This is why, and Khaled pulled out from his coat pocket the cinched kerchief of Wellington Books. They have seen fit to raise your pay. This is an advance on it. Donahue froze. Really? Yes, sir. Donahue took the kerchief from Khaled's hand and loosed the knot. Good lord, he gasped, eagerly taking one of the breathtaking silver pieces and holding it under the magnifying glass. This is legitimate currency? Quite. He chuckled. I suppose they are expecting us to be busy, aren't they? I'll be downstairs, if you need me, sir. Before Khaled descended the stairs, he glanced at the director's desk. He silently reminded himself to make certain he return Agent Book's handkerchief before an investigation launched. Theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, visit ministryofpeculiaroccurrences.com to order Ministry Protocol or to pre-order Dawn's Early Light, coming in March 2014. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales in the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Ace Books production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.